Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. I think that's one of the kind of expectations that people kind of have to leave at the door, that it's going to be constantly like a quiet kind of holiday camp. Hello, folks, it's Jimmy Doherty here, and welcome to another episode of On Jimmy's Farm. Now, this is the podcast where we discuss environmental issues and also try and give everyone a slice of the good life. I've got to say, I'm having a lovely time this afternoon. I'm sitting in glorious sunshine, by the pond, watching the fish coming to the surface to feed. And it's lovely, and there's so much activity going on. There's bees buzzing around, the butterflies are out feeding, birds are singing, establishing their territories. And when we think of spring, we always think about daffodils coming up, or bluebells, or magnolia coming out in flower. But we often don't think about the effects of spring when it comes to ponds. Now, as I peer into the water, I can see what looks like a wrestling match or a rugby scrum full of toads. And what's happening is that all the male toads are trying their best to kick off the others because there's a female there that they want to latch onto. And the winner will piggyback onto the female. He has these sort of fleshy outgrowths on his thumbs, which he'll tuck in under her front legs. And it's called amplexus. He'll stay there until she lays her eggs and then he'll fertilise them. And what I love about living in the countryside is that you see these natural phenomenons, these natural sort of passings of the seasons right in front of your eyes. And this week, I'm joined by author Sally Coulthard, and she's a lovely woman. She is an author and a columnist, and we discuss the ups and downs of leaving the city and moving to the countryside, because so many of us have this dream of idyllic life living in the countryside but is it that idyllic and what are the ups and downs now sally she started by studying archaeology and anthropology at oxford university and she's written over 25 non-fiction books and she's a regular columnist for country living magazine where she writes a column called a good life and she reveals the triumphs and the disasters of growing her own veg and keeping livestock so she really knows her onions so i hope you enjoy this episode and i'll see you later on back by the pond sitting in the sunshine. Hi, Sally. Thanks so much for joining me. You are very welcome. It's really nice to speak to you, Jimmy. Lovely to talk to you. Now, I have got terrible Wi-Fi problems at the moment. Since the big storm, I've had a nightmare. So I've had to now come up to the storeroom above the restaurant. So I'm amongst all the boxes, but I'm actually crammed into like a little broom cupboard at the moment. But hopefully I won't cut off. That's fine. Poor Wi-Fi. It's one of the cliches of the countryside, isn't it? But (laughs) we'll get there. 
<laughs> it is one of the problems. And do you know what's interesting is that when I have people come up from London or wherever they come and stay, the first thing they say is, what about the Wi-Fi? You've got Wi-Fi. And it is a worry for people because actually in the countryside, when it comes to Wi-Fi or when it comes to phone reception sometimes, there isn't any. Yeah, that's so true. And if you have a, I mean, like lots of us work from home now, if you have one of those kind of jobs where you need to have, you know, really good access to technology, it can be a bit of a challenge. But I think sometimes it's slightly kind of exaggerated how bad it is because, you know, where we are, we've certainly sort of seen improvements in the last kind of two or three years. And, and now, you know, I can finally watch... BBC iPlayer and it, you know, not spend ages watching it spooling and things. So we're getting there. It's just, we're just a little bit behind, that's all. Yeah, yeah. And it seems to me that the whole situation with COVID, so many people want to move out of cities and mm. move into the countryside because I think there's definitely been a, a reconnection with nature. People have gone, oh, do you know what? I want a bit more of a simpler life. I want to start enjoying my life. Mm. And I think the, the whole pandemic has really focused people on that. Have you found that? I have. And, you know, it, it was really interesting because almost the same week that kind of lockdown started, I had a book out called Biophilia, which is basically a book about, you know, how important people's connection with nature is. And it, it seemed sort of strangely timely that it came out at the same time because suddenly people were talking about that and talking about how important it is to have space and access to fresh air and and kind of, you know, natural views and the ability to be outside and enjoy nature. And all of those things came into really sort of stark relief in those first few months. So I think lots of people have been thinking about that in the last couple of years. Yeah, I think there's been definitely a big shift. I think estate agents have definitely seen an increase in inquiries, haven't they? Oh, definitely. And, uh, you know, I think it comes from a kind of a few different places. So I think, you know, there are kind of families who are suddenly realising that they don't want their kids to grow up without kind of lots of access to outdoor space. But I also think because we've got so good at working from home and, and, you know, that's been kind of enforced on us over COVID, I think people have a younger generation are also thinking, actually, I don't have to be in a city centre or a town centre to do my job anymore. You know, I don't have to be within the M25. I can actually get out and have a life in the countryside and still do my job. And I think certain generations have really kind of found that that move to the countryside has been really beneficial and quite a surprise how many people have actually made that move, I think. Yeah, because I think there's definitely the benefit of working from home where you don't have to travel into London or Manchester or Birmingham, wherever it is. The idea that you don't have to be in a central office has got to have some sort of positive effect because often in rural areas, commuters are, are gone for, for most of the day, only to reappear in the evenings when they come back from work. Yeah. And so they're only around at weekends. Or you mm-hmm. have the situation where you have people just have holiday homes and mm-hmm. then they're empty most of the time. So actually people working from home they've become much more part of the community i couldn't agree more with you and actually i think that's been one of the positive the few positive things to come out of the last couple of years has been that reconnection with the really immediate environment where you live so you know i know lots of people who live in the countryside who effectively don't really engage with the countryside for most of the time so like you say they work in town they probably send their kids to schools that are miles away from home they probably shop at out of town shopping centres, that kind of thing. And suddenly with the pandemic, I think people kind of re-engage with the local. So I certainly saw that around where we live. You know, people were suddenly going to the local bakery and using the local shops and, and getting their hair done at the local hairdressers rather than going an hour into town. 
And I think that's actually been really beneficial for local communities that there's been that kind of refocusing. Yeah, yeah. And there's definitely been a big draw. There's like an estimate of like 700,000 people have left the capital for the countryside. Yeah. But it's not all roses though, is it? It's not all roses. What have been your experiences? Well, you know, it's interesting because I've kind of followed various people that have kind of moved to the countryside and then, you know, I'm interested to see how they kind of get on. And it's really telling that nearly half of the people that move to the countryside move back into cities or towns. So something is fundamentally kind of going wrong for quite a few people who make the move to the countryside. And I think sometimes there's a mismatch in perception. You know, people think that the countryside is going to be one thing or that they're going to be different people in the countryside. But essentially, if you have a kind of perspective and a really good understanding of of what you're going into I think that really helps it doesn't help that there are lots of kind of images of the rural idyll and and that life's going to be suddenly perfect and you're going to have lots of space and lots of free time and all those kind of things those are the kind of myths that don't help but I'm still a massive advocate of living in the countryside and for me all the cliches are true it's amazingly uncrowded and the views are amazing and I love being outside and I love that sort of feeling of being really engaged with nature and things so it is a tricky balancing act and I think it's one that sometimes people don't quite get right see that's an interesting stat that half people go back or nearly half is the fact that yeah I think you're right is it because when you watch things like the darling buds of may or if Mm. if you're looking at a lot of sort of those publications you know country small holding or country life or good living mags all those things Mm -hmm. it's a very Kath Kitson view of the countryside where somehow you're in floral skirts going out and collecting the eggs from the chicken hutch and all that which is which is all part of it don't get me wrong but we're not all we're not all taking alpacas for walks down country lanes and stuff but there are those elements to it but it it isn't like that it's not like you're going back into the 1950s or something that's so true and the point you make about kind of the countryside being preserved in a moment in time isn't true the countryside is a working living breathing and productive a part of the the country as a whole and lots of parts of countryside life are noisy and smelly and there is traffic and there are bonfires and farmers spray chemicals and there's slurry spreading and all that kind of thing and so it makes me laugh when people sort of say oh you know god the, what do you do about the fact the fields stink of pig poo or the fact you've got cockerels crowing at six o'clock in the morning and that kind of but that's just part and parcel of the countryside it's a working environment in the same way that the city is a working environment and so I think that's one of the kind of expectations that people kind of have to leave at the door that it's going to be constantly like being in a quiet kind of holiday camp yeah and I think that is the thing that everyone suffers from isn't it and I've done it where if I've been on holiday sometimes abroad and I've said to my wife oh wouldn't it be amazing to have a little place Mm -hmm. here because what you're projecting is that it's going to be like being on holiday every day and of course it's not like that and I think often people have long weekends or holidays in the countryside I think actually sometimes there is a clash of two worlds I've noticed it with particularly with things like abattoirs for example Mm. and you know someone moves into a a village and there's an abattoir there and they start complaining about the activities the abattoir and and it's like well actually that abattoir is the linchpin to the the livestock farmers all around and the thing that you're enjoying with seeing cows in the field and lambs frolicking is only there because you've got this local abattoir and so many have been Mm. moved on or, or closed down because new people coming into a village don't like that activity so there is often sort of conflict isn't there mm. I think that's that's a really good point and it's part of a wider debate or a wider problem that is about the kind of disconnect between what we eat and how it's farmed and people can go into a supermarket and and buy a, a chop of 
pork or whatever without ever having to experience any of the process and they don't want to look at any of the process but for me the kind of the crux of sustainable farming and having a really healthy attitude towards growing and farming and small holding all those kind of things is being able to kind of look those issues right in the face and not hide them away in massive industrial units where no one sees what's happening you know I want people to to see animals in the fields but also understand that those animals give their lives for us to have meat so no but there is a disconnect it's funny like if you get like things like social media and also television and the prints when it comes to an urban culture and people live in the cities that's pretty well translated widely across the whole of the nation but when it comes to living in rural communities that isn't really translated back across the reality of rural life when you look at most sort of media platforms urban culture is paramount isn't it really and that's Mm. where most people live but the reality of living in the countryside doesn't really get a fair deal when you look at tv or if you look at social media it's always yeah yeah it's always like country file or you know yeah i know exactly what you mean maybe it's the sheer numbers you know more people live in urban environments than countryside but i wonder if kind of countryside voices have been traditionally not as valued as urban voices they're not seen as as interesting or as intellectual or as worthy of kind of consideration or i don't know it's that's probably a kind of that's more a kind of political debate isn't it about whose voices matter I think people are understanding countryside issues more. One of the things that I've kind of struggled with living in the countryside is the fact that I often don't see eye to eye with some of the kind of politics and worldviews of of traditional countryside. And sometimes I've had to really kind of moderate my views about stuff because I come from an urban background with very sort of liberal parents. And sometimes the countryside can seem a bit conservative with a small C, if you know what I mean. And so you've got to find areas where you can kind of bond with people that don't stray into kind of awkward territory. So, you know, you, you kind of bond over things like farming or preserving the countryside or preserving our kind of rural heritage. It, sometimes you just have to kind of work a bit harder to find common ground. Well, smaller communities for one, but it is, you know, I think it is interesting how mm. robust rural communities are compared to urban communities as well, where if all the pressures and strains of modern city life are far different to those of the countryside, in the countryside, you haven't got so many issues. You, know, you haven't got so many things you're reliant on. It, it, life isn't necessarily so complicated, but you have to deal with more fundamental mm. things. And it could be, trees falling over in the high winds it could be flooding it could be power being cut off all those sorts of things but it seems they're a bit more robust in terms of dealing with situations that would throw urban communities yeah yeah i think that's true and you know nothing brings people together more than a bit of a crisis so you know you were saying about having your internet down for since the storm and we've had about three power cuts this year where we are and some of them kind of lasted quite a long time but there's nothing that those kind of those interruptions to bring people together. And so people were popping down and making sure we we're all right or saying, you know, do you want to come to our house for a shower or, the, you know, all those kind of things. And I, and I really love that about living in the countryside. And although we're isolated where we are, we don't live in a village. We live we live in the middle of the sort of slightly in the middle of nowhere. I don't feel disconnected from yeah. villages and from friends and that kind of thing because people are always kind of keeping an eye on each other. And we help each other out. We lend each other stuff. My husband will lend his tractor to somebody who needs it and vice versa and people 
people will come and help us if we run into trouble with the animals or, you know, need a hand doing something. And I really like that. That's a really brilliant bit about living in the countryside. Yeah. Now, now Sally, I'm really passionate about getting people to come and live in the countryside. It's, it's not for everyone. But when newcomers come into a village, into a rural community... It, sometimes it can be daunting, can't it? And often people would think, oh, who are these people coming in from London or just coming from Manchester, you know, the urbanites and all this kind of stuff. But it's really important that we have new blood coming in to these rural communities, not only in terms of the cultural dynamics, but also to keep the schools going, to keep the doctor surgeries going, to keep the pubs going, to keep the, the shops going. And anyone that comes into like our village, I really want to welcome them and, and sort of go, you know, it's brilliant. You're really going to add to the community. But in rural communities, sometimes there is a bit of suspicion, isn't there? Yeah, I think so. And and that can help, that, that can dissuade people from kind of coming in the first place and I agree with you I think it's really important to welcome people who arrive in the countryside because like you say they're the kind of fresh blood and their kids will be the ones that keep the school going and their money will be the ones that go into the local shops and and keep kind of businesses going but also kind of new ideas you know it's fresh ideas fresh approaches to stuff a community can't be kind of static otherwise yeah. it dies yeah, completely. and it's really important it's not a particularly new thing because you know if you sort of look at the history of the countryside and, and especially the British countryside it's never been one thing and it's never just been one type of person that lives in the countryside. You know, the countryside has had people leave and join it in vast numbers over the years. And so it's really important for the countryside to be able to kind of adapt to new people. But I think we do it quite well because I think people are generally, and it's another cliche about the countryside, but generally friendlier in the countryside and, and feel more able to kind of knock on the door and say, oh, you know, welcome to the village. And I think there are more opportunities to join in as well because there's usually something going on you know, at the local pub. I wouldn't like to have moved to the countryside in the middle of the pandemic because I think that must have been quite lonely because all the traditional routes of kind of, you know, going to the pub or meeting people in the shop or taking your kids to school. And that's where, I mean, I've met loads of people and made friends through cafes and sending the kids to school and all that kind of stuff where it's those that kind of accidental contacts that have proved to be really useful yeah and so that must have been really difficult in lockdown if, if people weren't able to mingle yeah completely and it's so important that people with different ideas come into the countryside it's like not everyone is going to be a farmer or run the village shop and all that kind of stuff but i know people that have come and they've set up recording studios or they're computer programmers and they can do all these things that mm. now employing local people and it adds a more of a dynamic element particularly in the job market it's really important but I remember driving to the local town and I saw a car stuck in a field that had just been planted with some wheat and it obviously thought it was just like a grassy field but and there was a young lady in there and her son and they just just moved out of I know just moved out of East London and I, I stopped and she was a little bit horrified. She was in the middle of nowhere and I stopped and she was like, oh my, what, what does he want? And I said, are you okay? So I think I'm stuck. So I said, right, I'll pull you out. So I drove back and got a tow rope from the farm and drove the Land Rover back and towed her out and got her on the road. And she was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. You know, she was thought about where do I get the AA from or how do I, all this kind of stuff. And it's, it's really important yeah, yeah. that we help people come into the countryside and make feel welcome because that for me, is the lifeblood. And there is definitely a disconnect between town and city. Yeah. But I really want to make it connect yeah. again because it is so important for the health of our countryside and the future 
of rural communities that we get people to move out here and build homes that they want to live and be part of a community. So Sally, you've written a book about the countryside and how it's changed over history. Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, I'm not from the countryside, so I'm, I'm fascinated. I, I live in the countryside now, but I also kind of observe it from a sort of outsider's perspective. And, and when we moved to the farm, we've been here for about 15 years now, in one of the barns, I found some old witch's marks which had been carved into the plaster in, inside one of the barns. And, and these are marks that were made kind of hundreds of years ago by people that worked on the farm. And they're kind of little sort of doodles or graffiti that were made as a kind of hopeful prayer or a kind of mark of good luck to say, you know, I hope the harvest goes well or please don't let my crops be destroyed or, or that kind of thing. And, and it really kind of struck me because I thought that's kind of direct communication between me and someone who was living here hundreds of years ago. And, and it suddenly got me thinking about what farming must have been like for people all that time ago, because we find living in the countryside quite challenging at a time. We've got electricity and running water and tractors and vehicles and all that kind of thing. I mean, how the hell did people do it when they didn't have access to any of that? And I've started on a journey, really, to understand about the history of farming and also about the history of the local area. We live in North Yorkshire and how it related to the rest of the country and, and things like people don't realise, but children pretty much worked on farms until not that long ago and child labour was a huge part of the farming economy and women's work, which is not really massively written about, but that was a really central part of farming life. And the kind of crops we grew has changed massively over the last couple of hundred years and and things like the kind of animals that we use, you know, and the fact that we don't use draft horses anymore. And, and before that, we used to use oxen to pull ploughs. And I just find the kind of the history of living in the countryside fascinating because it's changed so radically in possibly a way that urban living hasn't changed as radically. And I'm just full of admiration for people that, that yeah. managed to carve a living out of the countryside in such challenging circumstances. Yeah, it's remarkable the changes, the revolutions that have gone on and the much larger populations that would have worked on farms. You talked about mm. witches' marks, right? That's really interesting. Well, I've got those marks above my front door really? um, and in some of the outbuildings. <gasps> and they're sort of like scratch marks, lines that crisscross each other to form almost like a, a star pattern. And they're really quite spooky. At first, I was like, oh, my Lord. And the more I looked, the more I could see. I find anything to do with superstition and the countryside really fascinating because it's slightly kind of gruesome, slightly kind of peculiar side of history. But actually, when you kind of research it, and it's absolutely everywhere, and rural buildings especially, are covered in this kind of medieval graffiti or sometimes a bit later than that as well. And what you find is that this is a result of people feeling so anxious all the time about what was going to happen in terms of their harvests and were their animals going to get ill. And they had so little control, really, in lots of ways over their lives that these kind of witches' marks are a way of, of exerting some kind of control and saying, I really hope that witches aren't going to come in here. And, and so thresholds, you saying that they're over your doorway, and thresholds are an absolutely classic place where you find witches' marks because they were always viewed as a point of vulnerability in a house where witches or evil spirits could come into the house. And, and you find them over chimney places as well and windows as well where people sort of traditionally thought oh that's probably where if a witch is going to come in the house she's going to come in that way or her evil accomplices uh, things like familiars so cats there's a brilliant book called medieval graffiti if you're interested which is all about 
why people did that and uh, your part of the world as well is absolutely rich with it because it's such an ancient agricultural part of the world. It did freak me out at first because they were everywhere and I got so obsessed that I kept thinking they were appearing on new areas so like someone was coming <laughs> and, <laughs> and putting new marks everywhere and I was like oh no what's what's going on <laughs> and, and <laughs> so I thought I was being yeah I thought I was being possessed or something. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. But I do love that connection because there was definitely more of a spiritual element to living in the countryside. And, you know, there were legends and tales of things and often they were set into warn kids not to go into dangerous areas or tied to the seasons and all these kinds of things. There were the stories to help you survive the changing seasons in in a rural community. Exactly. And I think it was a way of kind of placing importance on certain things and making you kind of respect certain things. So certain trees like apple trees, for instance, or oak trees, because they're such useful trees 
for people, I think they kind of took on a sort of special significance and, and it was really important to kind of respect those trees and show respect to those trees and certain creatures in wildlife as well. Like, for instance, I've just been researching about barn owls and for ages, for thousands of years, barn owls were kind of seen as a kind of frightening creature. But then when farming really took off, and especially when barns started to be built, farmers, especially in this country, realised that the barn owl could be a bit of an ally and could help keep grain mm. you know, free from mice and rats and things. And so farmers started to work in conjunction with barn owls and farmers would kind of encourage barn owls to come and nest in their barn. And so there's that kind of changing relationship or that changing dialogue sometimes between people who live in the countryside and, and the kind of natural elements around them. And you can kind of read that from sort of superstitions or like you say about tales and kind of traditional legends in the countryside. It's, it's really interesting. I love all that and love the old sayings. I remember an old boy that used to work on this farm, he always says to me, I said, I wonder what the season's going to be like this year. And he goes, well, if the oak is out for the ash, we're in for a splash. If the ash is out for the oak, we're in for a soak. Meaning yeah. that he would watch which tree would come out in leaf first. Yeah. He would tell you if you're in for a little bit of rain or a lot of rain. That folklore and superstition, although modern farming produces a lot of food that's very affordable, but being tied back into nature mm-hmm. and the change in seasons, that's really important. But when my mum and dad, when they left East London, just when I was about two, and they moved to rural Essex, my dad wanted to do that. He wanted a better life, and he wanted uh, us kids to you know, go to a, a nice little village school and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But for my mum, who ran her own hairdressing business in the busy part of East London, it was like going to the moon. Yeah for her you know it was yeah, almost yeah. like I won't see all my sisters and my, my brother anymore or my mum with a close-knit community all that kind of stuff and then going into a rural community that is already close-knit and feeling like an outsider but now I'm she's obviously one of the locals and all the rest of it but you know, what should people what things should they consider before making that move that's a really good question and there are sort of a few kind of key things that I, I would suggest and And the first is a kind of practical approach. And I always recommend to people that they effectively try before they buy. So if you're looking to buy a house in the countryside, I think it's so important to actually rent and live there first because a mile here or a mile there on the other side of a village can really affect your experience of living in the countryside. It can affect if you get a good GP or not, which schools your kids go to. It can affect access to public transport, all those kind of things. And so honing in on a spot that you actually is really going to work for you is really important. And so trying, and if you can, a number of different areas. And even if it's just, you know, you kind of holiday in different areas and get a real sense of, of the area is really, really important because... The countryside is so different where you... I live in North Yorkshire. North Yorkshire is really different from East Yorkshire, for instance. And in even within North Yorkshire, because it's a massive place, there are so many different kind of zones and feels to different... So Moulton, which is a big market town where we are, is a very different feel from, say, Helmsley, which is very kind of touristy but beautiful and has, you know, some gorgeous shops. And it all depends on what you want. Don't buy a house without really, really understanding the area. Interesting, that sort of element. I know of a a friend that's moved out from London and she was like, I really miss sushi. (laughs) (laughs) For me, it's like... (laughs) 
you know, that, that was a big thing. It's like, because you get sushi at all. And I was like, well, actually, you can now, Marks and Spencer's, yeah. and there's one, there's one down the road. <laughs> but the idea of a, a dedicated sushi restaurant or whatever else, and I was like, well, you can, you can make it yourself. It's not going to be as cosmopolitan, but also it's not as isolated as everyone thinks you know every time I have a tv executive will come up to the farm for a meeting and I say do you want a coffee and they go oh, oh no thank you because they think <laughs> I'm going to make them an instant coffee and I say no we we do lattes and we we, we, <laughs> we, we do all that oh do you and I'm like yeah I'm not a luddite <laughs> yeah <laughs> I could do all that I could it's do all that so, but there is so there is true. expectation mm. and there is a reality isn't there there is and, and I think often the success of kind of living in the countryside is choosing a really good market town as long as you're within kind of half an hour of a really good market town I think that's the crux of the issue because for us we're near a really good market town and and it has not only everything that you kind of practically want you know you know you need engine oil or a new blade for your grass cutter or whatever it's got all the kind of agricultural sides of things but also it's got dozens of brilliant coffee shops that do amazing coffees that could easily kind of compete with a London kind of coffee shop. It's got patisseries, it's got beautiful bookshops, it's got, you know, it's got everything. And that for me is, that gives me the hit of kind of the cosmopolitan experience without having to go into the city. And so that's been, for us, the real sort of key to the success of being here is the fact that we are within spitting distance of a really good market town. Um, so we don't feel isolated at all. The fact that we can't get Deliveroo out here, I'm not really, I don't really mind. I'm not that bothered about takeaways anyway. And that's a, that's a sacrifice worth making, really. I'll deal with, you know, I can cope without sushi. <laughs> but there's one thing that is, for me, totally invaluable in living in the countryside. And, and one thing I would say is one of the massive benefits, and that is the effect on your mental health and it helps you to slow down well one of the the things i love the most is in the mornings early in the morning coming out with a cup of tea into the garden before i start my day and it's quiet and it's peaceful and it allows me just to collect all my thoughts before i go on you know there's this quiet there's no noise or taking the dog for a long walk or just the tranquility of it but it forces you to live a slower pace and that's really important to our mental health so there's definitely people's expectations of what the countryside is going to be like. And then there's the reality. So what other things can people sort of take on board and think about before they move? I think there's some kind of really practical things that people might do that would actually help them kind of bed into the countryside or at least kind of help their sort of experience be a bit more smooth. And one of the things that we twigged when we moved to the countryside quite quickly was that we didn't have the right clothes and we didn't have the right car. The amount of times that we got stuck in the countryside when, especially because we're a bit further up north than you guys, you know, we've been stuck in snowstorms and, and things like that. And having a decent access to a decent 4 by 4 has been really useful because there's just no way that you can kind of manage, especially if you're living... If you're not living in a village, but you're actually kind of, you're out in the sticks like we are, that's been really important. And I've been caught out a couple of times, especially when the kids were really young, being actually sort of stranded at home. And and that was quite a wake up call. And things like like the right clothes, you know, I didn't really understand. I used to think it was a, a bit laughable, really, that countryside was the kind of wax jacket, welly brigade. But now I understand why. And that actually... It's true that there's no such thing as as bad weather, just bad clothes. And so over the years, you know, we've tried dozens of different types of wellies and different types of coats and hats and all that kind of stuff. 
But the reality is, it's actually the only thing that keeps me <laughs> keeps me dry and warm when I'm messing about with the sheep or on a long walk or all those kind of things. So those are the sort of things that I've, I've sort of slightly fought against, but actually is true. And then I think there's another thing that people sometimes imagine that they want from the countryside, which is actually more of a hassle than it's worth, and that's land. People come to the countryside and they think, oh, brilliant, I'm going to buy myself some land or I want a property with lots of land. And I don't know if you found this, but actually looking after land is a real challenge. And unless you actually want to farm it yeah. or have the means to look after it, you know, anything more than about half an acre is starts to be quite a lot of effort. So you can't buy masses of yeah. fields and then cut them with a ride-on mower. You know, you need to know about grazing or you have to have grass cutters and tractors and all that kind of stuff. So I often say to people, you know, do you, you, know, do you really need 20 acres of land if you're not actually going to use it or farm it or you know, let someone else farm it who knows what they're doing? So that's something that kind of, I think people like the idea of having the space around them and that kind of buffer zone. But land is hard work and needs looking after you can't just kind of let it you can't just leave it to its own devices and and even if you're interested in rewilding that doesn't necessarily just mean letting it kind of run wild in that way no completely and i, I think it's, it's so true that like i was talking to my cousin and he wants to move into the countryside and he says i, I, I want to get some bees and some alpacas and some chickens and mm. somewhere for the dog to run around a bit of land which is great but at the mm. same time he's quite a busy person i was like well actually you don't just leave bees to get on with it. And, and these animals need sorting out and, and fences go down. It is a lot of oh, maintenance. Yeah. But it, there is a lot of reward from it. But the one thing I will say that we haven't mentioned, because you don't want to put sort of a negative element to the country, because there's huge benefits. Mm. But one of the biggest benefits, I think, is that living in the countryside, if you've come from an urban setting, an urban community, is that it does force you to slow down a bit. And particularly with the pandemic, we've people had a more of a connection with nature and people want to get back into the green spaces. There is something really healing about being amongst nature in the countryside. Yeah. You know, that peace, that stillness, I collect my thoughts. And when you're not working, the space, the calmness, the quietness, it, it has a real benefit. And I think that's what people are seeking because yeah. the countryside has all its stresses, mm. has lots of stresses, but I think those stresses are far outweighed by those benefits of being close to nature. I couldn't agree more. And gosh, those have been highlighted so profoundly in the last couple of years. And, and I know certainly it's saved me from being really, really, really stressed and upset so many times, being able to kind of go out in the veg garden or go and talk to the chickens or go for a walk or just getting some fresh air has been really important. And so, yeah, I would really encourage people to to come to the countryside for all its kind of attendant problems. It's still a dream. It really is, you know. And I, I always say to people, that, you know, people who move to the countryside, you spend the first six months kind of thinking, isn't this brilliant? And then you spend the next six months thinking, oh, God, I really miss home. But then actually when that passes, you then realise that you couldn't be anywhere else and you, you spend your time thinking, oh, bloody tourists. <laughs> when you see other people come to the countryside, when you realise that it's actually you, that you know, you've not been there that long, but you suddenly feel very protective about it. Yeah, yeah. Listen, Sally, it's been fascinating talking to you about your move to the countryside. You've been living your farm now for what, 15 odd years. Yeah. Now, tonight, I've got a friend called Danny Wallace who's coming over for dinner and him and his wife and his family have lived in London and they've only recently moved out to the countryside. And I've made friends with him and I think he likes to have chats about 
the ups and downs and mm. it's I think he's been quite isolated so tonight I'm gonna have a chat with him about his move and how he's been coping and, and the benefits the ups and the downs it's not easy but then nothing worth doing is it is ever easy is it and, and I think he'll be really talk to him in a year's time after this and I think he'll feel so much differently but yeah it'll be the best movie ever made once he once he just kind of gets bedded in yeah yeah I agree I agree but listen mm. it's been lovely to talk to you and you um, hopefully I won't have any more of those witch signs appear over my house <laughs> oh no you have to keep your eyes open you never know <laughs> <laughs> All the best. I'll talk to you soon, Sally. Take Thanks, care. Thanks, Jimmy. Cheers. Bye. So that was the lovely Sally discussing the ups and downs of moving from the city to the countryside. And I've got to say, I'm having a lovely little time here. I'm still by the pond. I'm watching the fish, listening to the toads in the beautiful spring sunshine it's wonderful now before i sign off i just want to say a couple of things first off if you enjoyed the episode please remember to like and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts it really is appreciated as it helps new listeners find us and secondly i want to tell you about the fantastic history hit book club the link of how to sign up is in this episode's description this week's book is by pen vodgler and it is called scoff which i think is just the best name for a book it's the history of food and class in britain it's a look at the social history of food in britain and examines the origins of our eating habits and how they're loaded with centuries of class prejudice i think you're going to find it totally fascinating and i'll see you all back on the farm for another episode of on jimmy's farm <laughs>